You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Nolan is standing by. Hey, Wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome. To another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. It's going to be a short one today, I think, because my voice is not doing great today. I've spent a lot of time today talking. It is very weak. It's good that this show is not live because I will have to stop to cough at least three times, probably. During this scenario, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll, you know, I'll track it for you. That was the first time I just stopped it just then to cough. Today's episode of the Bruce exclusive is titled introspector gadget. I made up the word introspector, but it would just, it just rolled off the tongue so smoothly. I just, I feel like it should be a word. And if it's not, I, you know, I feel like I should write a strongly worded letter to somebody indicating that it should be a word. There is never a time for introspection like there is in a pause. Introspection is a vastly undervalued trait in almost all aspects of life. The people who I know who are the best people are the people who are the most introspective. The marriages that I know that are the best are the most introspective. The companies that are the best are the most introspective. It's applicable in so many aspects of life. You show me someone, something, some entity, some relationship that is fundamentally cognizant of being introspective. And I'll bet you it's a good one, a good relationship, a good person, a good company, whatever it is. But we don't do that. We're always worried about the present and the future, but we don't ever spend any time trying to learn from the past. There's never a time to do it like a bye week. A bye week is a great opportunity to go back, take a pause, go back and go, what exactly were we worried about three months ago? How did that turn out? Did we learn anything? And now is a good time to do it. So we're going to talk a little bit about a few big, strong storylines that were coming into this year and where we're at with those things now. Then we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to do QB stew. And we've got one email. And then we'll get out of here. 
I want to start with an off-season narrative that I was part of. I mean, technically, I'm part of almost all of them because I talk about almost all of them. But I actually wrote an article, did a podcast specifically on Brandon Bean's drafting. My take on this was that he's hit some singles, he's hit some doubles, but it had been a long time since he had hit a homer. And by my definition, what I said was, is there a player on this roster that was drafted by Brandon Bean since the 2018 draft with Josh Allen, where it's just an absolute, unquestionable, no-brainer, top-of-market extension at the position. And at the time, we were like, I don't really know. Let's circle back on that. Right now, that Ed Oliver extension is looking vastly under market. So no, I don't think he was a no-brainer. I think there was meaningful questions. And he knew that. When he signed the extension, he was like, I'm going to shut up the people who thought maybe I was overpaid. Guess what? He's doing it. That Ed Oliver pick, that Ed Oliver extension, look a lot different both than they did a few months ago. Gregory Rousseau was on a really good pace and he's playing right now through a couple fairly notable injuries. And so that's going to be a discussion, unfortunately, this offseason. But what did we learn from Ed Oliver that we can apply to Gregory Rousseau? When asked about it, Ed Oliver said, man, a healthy Ed Oliver is a bad man. Maybe we don't put nearly as much weight on injuries as we should. This same thing applies to Spencer Brown, who this year has been a completely passable right tackle for the Buffalo Bills after being fairly significantly disastrous last year. After missing most of the offseason due to a back surgery. We don't expect people to be back to their normal selves. We've graduated now as far as the public consciousness and the fandom consciousness where we don't expect people to be exactly the same player that they were the first six, eight, ten games back from an ACL tear. But for some reason, we thought that about Spencer Brown and we spent all offseason pounding the table to draft a right tackle to replace him. Maybe we need to put more weight on injuries and how just because you're playing doesn't mean you're not impeded. I think we need to look at injuries a little differently instead of a binary, playing or not playing. Well, if you're playing, I'm going to hold you to that standard. Well, yeah, okay, I get that. You want to do the best you can you possibly can when you're playing. But there's a difference, a hindrance, and an impediment. A hindrance, you get hurt, you can play, you're just not playing nearly as well because you're hurt. You are being hindered. But if something impedes you, it stops you from being able to play. But we have a tendency to only weight injuries when they are impediments and not nearly enough when they are hindrances. This is something I am going to try to learn. I am going to try to spend meaningful time this offseason understanding more about specific types of injuries and the functional effect of those things on players at different positions. That is a task for me this offseason. 
And it's a task for me because I'm looking back at the Ed Oliver situation, at the Spencer Brown situation, and at my conversations around Beans drafting last offseason. What can I learn from this? And I think that's a takeaway for me. In addition to this aspect of Beans drafting, the next two kind of lump in. What about Terrell Bernard? Nobody, I don't want to say nobody, very few people in the media content creation space came out really strongly in favor of we know Terrell Bernard's the guy. Why? Because there's no sample size. And I understand that. There's no sample size of him playing well. He's come in and played out of his marbles. In addition, after Matt Milano went down, he still played really well. Further solidifying the fact that Terrell Bernard's just a good player at this point. Now, obviously, it hasn't even been a full year of good play. But it's been pretty consistent. It's not like Terrell Bernard had two or three flashy games and then just completely lost it the rest of the way. And they're trying to capture that flash again. That's not what happened. So what can we learn from this? I don't think you can ever say, well, I should feel comfortable in somebody having never seen them. I don't think we can ever get to the spot where we'll look at Terrell Bernard. But I think what we can say is that the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. I haven't seen him play well in the pros for a statistically significant sample size is not the same as he can't play well in the pros at a statistically significant sample size. But that's about all you can learn from this lesson. Because otherwise, how there, you have nothing to go on. He wasn't hurt, right? He had a hamstring injury in, in preseason training camp, but he wasn't hurt last year. He barely played at all. So the only thing you have to go on is however you felt about him in college coming out. So this is one of those scenarios where I don't know if I can look at the Terrell Bernard situation and go, well, here's a lesson we can learn to keep this from ever happening again. I don't think there is one. I don't think it's trust the process. They know what they're doing because they don't always know what they're doing. Sometimes they make mistakes. Also, I don't even know if the coaching staff thought he would be this good. I think it's one of those things where you just chalk it up as an L for your opinion if you were down on him and chalk it up as a W for your team and move on. I have racked my brain trying to think about this. And I don't think, listen, you know me. I love a good lesson. I love a good parable. Anything we can take from something, I'm going to try and take from something. I don't think there is one here. Because we didn't have any sample size. We had nothing to go on. It was just what we saw in college. And then he played a few snaps last year, basically nothing. And then he comes out week one, plays gangbusters. Week two, great. Three, four, five, six, seven, over and over again. If there was a take that I would like to originate from this, it would be this. Just don't be so strongly opinionated about something you haven't seen. Like you can say, listen, I don't feel comfortable with Terrell Bernard given the fact that I've ever seen him, right? That, that's a completely reasonable take. What you probably can't reasonably say is Terrell Bernard is trash. That's the only take I've got from this. That's the only lesson I can learn, in my opinion. I'll tell you who we've seen a lot of. Gabriel Davis. Gabriel Davis, wide receiver two. 
Huge, huge narrative this offseason. Gabriel Davis, wide receiver too. Well, how's that working out for us? Right now, there are people having conversation about Gabriel Davis being the fifth target in the passing offense behind Diggs, Kincaid, Shakir, and Cook. He went from wide receiver two to maybe the fifth target in the offense. Let's talk about it a little bit. Let's have conversations as far as priorities go. And one of the things that consistently got utilized as a Gabriel Davis is a good wide receiver too argument in the offseason was specifically raw metric data. Catches, yards, touchdowns. The lesson to be learned, in my opinion, from the Gabriel Davis scenario is simply that how and why are far more important interrogatives than what. If you are in an offense with Josh Allen throwing the ball a bajillion times, you have an elite quarterback, you have a high-powered passing offense, and you're someone who gets a lot of targets, then your raw numbers are going to be good. Even if you're not a great player, you'll still have good wide receiver two numbers. And then the argument pivots to utilization, how he was utilized more in the slot by Dable and less on the outside. And then you go, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck and it walks like a duck, it's probably a duck. And we had sample size. We had years of that with Gabriel Davis. It wasn't like the situation with Terrell Bernard where we had some college and then we had nothing and we had nothing and all of a sudden he broke out. Year two, jumps in as a starter, becomes a really good player. Gabriel Davis got meaningful snaps early on and became a meaningful perimeter target for this team early on. Years and years and years. And if Brian Dable utilized him a certain way and Ken Dorsey utilized him a certain way and his college coach utilized him a certain way. Maybe he's just a duck. And that's not a bad thing. You need ducks. The ecosystem needs ducks. But let's just stop trying to call him a jaguar. He's a duck. He does duck things. So to me, the argument was always misclassified. I did a a podcast that dropped the day of the NFL draft And I specifically said, we are having the wrong conversation about Gabriel Davis. It's not whether or not he's a good player. It's what is he good at? And what kind of role do you want that to fill in your offense? Wins on down the field plays, down the field routes, mostly with size. That's what he does. That's where he wins. Matt Harmon's reception perception profile, exact same thing. It's not like it taught us anything we didn't already know about Gabriel Davis. It is what it is. And so I think the biggest thing we can take away from this is that how and why are far more important interrogatives than what those raw data numbers based on just raw statistics, catches, yards, touchdowns. You look at him and go, well, I mean, it's completely reasonable wide receiver two across the league, not putting into context the fact that he got a lot of targets. And if you give anybody that number of targets, they're going to get some raw statistics. But 
How is he getting open? How is he winning? Why is he winning? Why is he getting that many targets? Because they didn't have a short and intermediate player like Dalton Kincaid, like Cole Beasley, like Emmanuel Sanders, who could do those things. How is he winning? And why is he getting those targets? How and why are far more important interrogatives than what? And that's the case. That's the way to look at it. Last thing, James Cook. Question is, can James Cook be a bell cow number one back? We're still not quite sure how this goes. There are times when James Cook seems like he's one of the best players in the field. And there's other times, especially early in games, where you watch James Cook and you go, has he run the ball between the tackles meaningfully? And they'll pull him. And they'll put in Latavius Murray and he'll get chunk and chunk and chunk and you'll go, okay, that's what the running attack supposed to look like. And then James Cook comes back in and he plays really well. I still don't think that you're going to go into this offseason going, James Cook is the unquestioned bell cow back who's going to get 70% of the touches for this team moving forward. I wouldn't be shocked if they drafted another running back this year. They've got a bajillion day three picks. Throw a dart at one. Why not? Damian Harris on a one-year deal. Latavius Murray's on a one-year deal. Naheem Hines might not ever be back. Use the sixth-round pick on a running back. A downhill power back. Sure, why not? Let's do it. I would I would be surprised if they didn't at this point, given how many day three picks they have in 2024. That was a narrative. I think this is the same lesson as Gabriel Davis. We've never seen James Cook, quote unquote, carry all the load. He didn't do it in college. He didn't do it year one. So if he's never done it, ever, maybe he's, he's just a duck and that's okay. You, you need ducks. You need someone who can be part of a committee. And he's still going to be the first man up in the committee, but that doesn't mean he's going to carry all of the load of the committee. There's a difference from being the starter and being the bell cow. And so for me, I think it's the same lesson to be learned as the Gabe Davis conversation. If it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, just don't expect it to suddenly not be a duck the second, third year, fourth year of the career. They've shown you already. We have at least meaningful... Now, we had way more sample size for Gabe Davis than we did for James Cook. But he never carried meaningful load in college. Never. Didn't do it year one. All of a sudden, you're going to come in and get 280 carries? It feels unlikely. Now, he has gotten a little more than I thought he was going to get. I thought it would be closer to like a 55-45 as far as percentage goes. So he's gotten a little bit more than that. But I wonder how that would be different if Damian Harris was healthy. So for me, I would not be shocked to see an investment at running back in the draft and for it to be, again, close to a 50-50 split in 2024. So that's some introspection. Those are some things that we talked about this offseason that we should revisit now and talk about any lessons we could potentially learn. We're going to take a quick break. Stick with me. We'll be right back. 
Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive on Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We were introspector gadgets before the break, and now we're going to talk about one of my favorite dishes that is not best served cold by any means. It's best served hot, and that's QB stew. So didn't do it last week. We're going to go ahead and do it this week, and we're going to go ahead and start at the bottom, like we always do. We only have 30 quarterbacks who qualify. There have been so many quarterback injuries in the NFL that there are actually fewer quarterbacks who qualify for the passing attempt and drop back thresholds. So there's only 30 quarterbacks who qualify for Stu right now. At the bottom, Zach Wilson, number 30. 29 is Bryce Young. 28 is Mac Jones. 27 is Desmond Ritter. 26 is Josh Dobbs. 25 is Kenny Pickett. 24 is Will Levis. Deshaun Watson is at 23. Gardner Minshew is at 22. Sam Howell is at 21. Justin Fields is at 20. Derek Carr is at 19. Joe Burrow is at 18. Baker Mayfield is at 17. Matthew Stafford is at 16, 15 is Geno Smith, 14 is Jordan Love, 13 is Russell Wilson, 12 is Justin Herbert, 11 is Jalen Hurts, 
Lamar Jackson's at 10, Trevor Lawrence is at 9, Jared Goff's at 8, C.J. Stroud, the rookie, is at 7, Patrick Mahomes at 6, 5 is Kirk Cousin, 4 is Joshua Patrick Allen, we'll come back to him, 3 is Tua Tungavailoa, 2 is Dak Prescott, 1 is Brock Purdy. The narratives this week have been about Brock Purdy and Dak Prescott for MVP. QB Stew lines up directly with this. I love it when that happens. I absolutely love it when this happens. Brock Purdy is number one in QBR, number one in passer rating, number one in NEA, number one in EPA per play, number one in DVOA, number 12 in PFF grade, and number two in CPOE. Dak Prescott is two in QBR, two in passer rating, four in NEA, two in EPA per play, sixth in DVOA, one in PFF grade, and sixth in CPOE. Do you see what's happening here? What's the biggest discrepancy between the two of them? It's PFF grade. Purdy's at 12, Prescott's at one. This lines up with the narrative. The people who watch a ton of film, a lot of them are pro Prescott in this conversation. PFF grade for quarterbacks is essentially a film grade. It's a ball placement grade. Other things can be influenced more by external factors. It's the reason why we have it in there. We do not operate here at the Bruce Exclusive under any delusion that PFF grade is a perfect metric. But when you see it juxtaposed next to everything else, now it tells the story. Now you get it. If you only used one metric, you wouldn't see this. But because you use all of them, now you see it. Two at number three, continual has a, a, a great, absolutely great year. Josh Allen at four. Josh Allen is eighth at QBR. He is ninth in passer rating. He is eighth at NEA. He is third in EPA per play. He is third in DVOA. He is second in PFF grade. He is fourth in CPOE. Josh Allen makes bonkers throws every single week. Why do we think the PFF grade is so high? That's just the way it works. That's top 10 in every single metric. Of the top five quarterbacks, the ones that are top 10 in every metric, Cousins, Josh Allen, Tua, Dak. The only one who's not top five top 10 in every metric, rather, is Brock Purdy. Then when you get to Patrick Mahomes, 4th in QBR, 10th in passer rating, 10th in NEA, 5th in EPA per play, 7th in DVOA, 4th in PFF grade, 9th in CPOE. Josh Allen has a QB stew of 4.5 right now. Nobody, since we've been tracking stew, has won an MVP with a stew that High. Remember, high is bad for Stu. So right now, I the argument for Josh Allen as MVP, I, I get it. Right? If you want to completely separate out the wins thing, but we need to understand that they're not going to vote Josh Allen as MVP even if the Bills make the playoffs. They're not going to. Because as a general rule, it is the best quarterback who happens to be on the best team who wins the MVP unless something crazy happens. This year might be the year that 
a player like Tyreek Hill actually wins it. I said that the last time we did this exercise. And we still got a ways to go. There's a lot of football left to be played. So I truly believe that if Brock Purdy and Dak Prescott stay where they're at, it's a Brock Purdy, Dak Prescott to a Tyreek conversation. Because the teams will be far and away good enough to reach that qualifier, and then they're the best players on those teams. The Buffalo Bills getting to the playoffs at 10-7. MVPs don't get that award on 10-7 and seven teams. We can make it a completely separate argument as to whether or not they should. And I would argue that they should because most valuable, right? But that's not what the award has meant for a really, really long time. The award doesn't function like that. The voters don't vote like that. Now, so what they should do and what they have done, two completely different arguments. So for me, the whole Josh Allen should win MVP, It we can talk about should all day long, but so far QB Stu has correctly predicted quarterback MVPs every single year. That We've done it every single time. If a quarterback wins MVP, it is the quarterback with the highest due. Josh Allen has the fourth highest due. So even if the Bills were 10-2 and two right now, I would still lean toward Brock Purdy, Dak Prescott, Tua as a who is going to win. Not necessarily who should, but who is going to win. So that's my argument. That's where we're at as far as QB Stu. We got an email to get to, though. Padden sent me an email, and he said, Bruce, I loved last week's pod and discussion on McDermott's tendencies. Just so you know, I stopped to cough there. Told you I'd tell you. We have a lot of data now telling us what he will do. I've been considering the how and the why of this tendency instead of using Allen in key moments. For a coach who preaches growth mindset, it really seems like an unusual stumbling block. That said, I can't help but think of the times he has relied on Allen and something's gone wrong. Fumble on the goal line in the Vikings game at the goal line. Allen slip and fall on the goal line in the Titans game. Allen stepping out of bounds against the Bucks. Untimely interceptions against the Jets. I'm sure there's others I have forgotten. I think about one of McDermott's formative moments as a coach. Watching his team's high-powered offense lose the Super Bowl due to Von Miller. Taron Johnson getting a pick six against the Ravens in the playoffs. The defense shutting down the Patriots in the playoffs, which featured an amazing defensive play by Hyde when the game was still close. The defense frequently carried the load for a young and developing Allen. My point is this. Intermittent reinforcements, rewards at random intervals, lead to behaviors that can be hard to shake. If he's predisposed to be a defensive mind, those highs of defensive triumphs are going to outweigh many instances of Josh Allen heroics. I'm curious to hear if you have any thoughts on the why. Regards, Patton. I mentioned this on the Joe Marino podcast, Locked on Bills. I'll mention it here. I think Sean McDermott's a control enthusiast. That's what I think it is. And I think when the rubber meets the road, it's if you want something done right, do it yourself. That's what it boils down to. And he, he, when he says do it himself, he's not the offensive play caller. He's the defensive play caller. If you want something done right, do it yourself. Put it on your own shoulders. I can do this. It's really hard for people who are type A personalities, people who are control enthusiasts, those people. It's hard for them to be in that moment and go, I am going to relinquish control in this pivotal high leverage moment. Really hard for people to do. That is my completely speculative reason. Very important we qualify this. We're never going to know because we have to get inside his brain. 
So the why is interesting to speculate on, but it is exactly that speculation. I spent a lot of my time talking about facts on this podcast. This is not one of those things. It is rampant speculation on my part and should be treated as such. But that is my opinion on the why. Well, it ended up going a little bit longer than I thought it was going to go. It wasn't super duper short, but my voice is shot. So without further ado, I will leave you with, I hope this podcast found you well. I hope you enjoy your day today. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. And if not, just tell yourself, well, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumbles. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.